Hello, this is Elizabeth Ficken, and I invite you to study the Bible with me. In this season's podcast, I'll share the lectures that I've given as I've taught through the book of Micah to the women's Bible study at my church. The short book of Micah is prophecy which declares God's judgment against injustice, which will prompt us to examine how we live our lives and treat others. The book of Micah also declares God's overwhelming mercy to forgive sins, and it unveils the Lord's extraordinary plans for the nation of Israel during the Millennial Kingdom when Jesus Christ reigns supreme. Micah's name means, Who is like God? The only correct answer to that question is, No one. The message of Micah will lead us to know more about the character of our God and Savior, and will lead us to honor and adore them as they deserve. The Justice of God, a love story, part one is heartbreak. You know the story of Israel, and they knew their story well. It was remembered every year at Passover. The Lord made a nation from one man, Jacob. And the Lord nurtured the Israelites when they were in Egypt under the oppression of Pharaoh's. He made them his own chosen people, and he made them grow into a large group of people from that one man. And then he delivered them out of Egypt. He delivered them through the Red Sea. He delivered them through the wilderness. And first thing on your handout, the, the Lord made himself known to Israel. He showed them his power. He showed them his provision He led them by his presence at the tabernacle in a cloud by day and fire by night. And he declared his character to them through Moses, who said, I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Those words should be becoming familiar to you he is without injustice he is righteous and upright so Israel understood that they were God's chosen people they understood that they were set apart for him they understood they were to worship him to obey him and bring glory to him but they didn't do it they wandered they rebelled they forgot God they got tangled up in other nations wicked behaviors that was heartbreak for the Lord he had poured his love on them and the people that he chose the people he made a covenant with did not return his love they didn't love the justice of God or the God of justice this happened over and over again the Lord addressed one sin after another through his prophets He carried out his justice time after time. He brought blessings upon his people during the times of obedience, and he brought consequences upon them during their times of rebellion. Through his prophet Micah, the Lord confronted sins in his people. He confronted the sins that were blatant affronts to his justice, righteousness, and uprightness. Heartbreak. We have read and studied the injustices of the leaders of Judah 
And in summary, here's what we've seen so far. They planned evil and coveted land and possessions. Micah 2.1 They hated good and loved evil. Micah 3.2 They robbed and murdered to satisfy their greed. They abused the poor. Micah 3, 2 and 3. They detested justice and perverted everything that was right. Micah 3, 9. They distorted justice. They accepted bribes. They gave wrong verdicts. The priests received payments. Prophets preached false hope. Everyone thought that they were immune to God's judgment. Micah 3, 11. How could they do all this? They were in the city of Jerusalem. They were in God's city. There was his temple, the house of the Lord on the mountain for all of them to see. What did they do? They embraced sin instead of their God. They loved sin. They loved evil. They didn't confront the sin in their lives. And so sin made a mess of their lives. And that's a biblical principle about sin. Sin messes with your head. It messes with your heart. It messes with your life. Sin lies to us. Sin deceives us. The very first time that sin is used in the Bible is in Genesis 4-7. And the Lord tells Cain how much of a problem sin is. The Lord says, Cain, if you do right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Do you hear something like a reference to justice in that verse about sin? Doing what is right and not doing what is wrong. In our workbooks, we have studied the sins of the leaders of Micah's day. And we have had some personal questions we have had these to help us examine our lives in, in light of them and see if there are versions of those sins happening in our lives right now. If you have been convicted of something, then that's a good thing, even though it's not comfortable. But perhaps you have not seen a modern-day version of the sins named in Micah show up in your life. I mean, that's good, too. <laughs> But it doesn't mean that there is not sin to address in our lives. What was the heartbreak for the Lord when he looked at the people of Micah's day? It seems they had let themselves get comfortable with their sin. They thought that because they were God's chosen people who had received his promises and his presence, they thought there would be no consequence for sin. So they lived in their sin without being bothered by it, without repenting of it. No change. Commentator Max Anders says, These corrupt leaders used theology to protest Micah's judgment oracle. Their prosperity in Jerusalem, their building achievements in the city of the Lord, showed that God was among them. Thus his presence would protect them. And they thought disaster would not come upon them. So that was their theology. We're God's people. He's not going to judge us. Let's make sure that we don't get comfortable with our sins. So get ready to squirm a little bit. We're going to examine our lives for sins that break the Lord's heart. 
we who know Jesus as Savior have been freed from the power of sin. That is truth. Hallelujah. <laughs> Read Romans 6. But sin still crouches at the door and it still wants to take over our lives. And that's why we're to listen to what Paul said in Romans 6.13. You saw this in your homework. Do not offer any parts of it. Don't offer any parts of your body, any parts of your life to sin as a weapon for unrighteousness. As those who are alive from the dead, and if Jesus is your Savior, you are alive from the dead. Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Right now, I want to consider what Jerry Bridges calls respectable sins. And this is his book, Respectable Sins, Jerry Bridges. Very good book. He says, have Christians become so preoccupied with the major sins of our society that we've lost sight of our need to deal with our own more subtle sins? That's what we're going to look at. He describes subtle sins as those which even seem acceptable to us. You don't even call it sin. We're deceived, so we think they're not so bad. Or number two, they're not even sin. Or number three, they're so much a part of our lives that we don't even think about it at all. So we're in an unconscious denial of acceptable sins. Now, I actually don't like the uh, little phrase, respectable sins. That's, they're not respectable. They're not acceptable. But I understand why it's the title of the book, and it is a good title for the book. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, and, and it draws attention to things that you might not be thinking are sins. As Bridges sets the stage to help us think about specific sins, he mentions that believers in the Puritan times feared, they feared the reality of sin dwelling in them. They called out sin. And he names the titles of four books written by Puritan pastors. And these titles are statements of truth. I gave them to you on your handout. The sinfulness of sin, the mischief of sin, the anatomy of secret sins by Obadiah Sedgwick, the evil of evils or the exceeding sinfulness of sin by Jeremiah Burroughs. So I, I appreciate that Obadiah and Jeremiah did what their namesakes did. They called out sin. In The Evil of Evils, Jeremiah Burroughs has as the theme the fact that there is infinitely more evil in the least sin than there is in the greatest affliction. Now, affliction is bad and painful and hard. You don't want it. But he says there's no good in sin at all. And even though affliction is not desirable in itself, God uses it in the lives of his people to accomplish much good. So he will allow trials and affliction, pain and suffering, hard times. But he doesn't want sin in our lives. Well, regarding these titles, I think that we should bring these statements back into our everyday conversation. Hmm. But don't use it on someone. Put it in first person. <laughs> and here's some examples of what it might look like. I am beginning to recognize the sinfulness of sin in my own life. You could say that. You should say that. I'm trying to say that. How about this? I don't want to let the mischief of sin find a way to hide itself in my heart. 
I need to examine the anatomy of secret sin because the better that I know it, the more I will hate it and turn from it. Now, I actually don't even like to think about doing that, of examining the anatomy of secret sin because that sin should revolt me. So this does not sound like a fun thing to do, but I think it's a good thing to do. And I want to begin to call sin the evil of all evils. You might think of something else as the evil of all evils. Satan comes to mind. But letting the sinfulness of sin get into my life is the evil of all evils because that's a horrible way to respond to my holy God. So we need to recognize the sinfulness of every sin. We've got to call sin, sin. So what are some of these sinful, mischievous, despicable, evil sins that we've gotten comfortable with? What are some of these subtle sins? I'll share with you what Jerry Bridges has brought to our attention through chapters in his book. I'm going to read the list, and then I'm going to go over it, and by the time the talk is finished, you'll have them all. So He talks about ungodliness, anxiety, frustration, discontentment, unthankfulness, pride and selfishness. That shouldn't surprise you, but we'll see some other versions of those that you might not think about. Lack of self-control, impatience, irritability, anger, judgmentalism, in one chapter, envy, jealousy, and other related sins, sins of the tongue, worldliness. Those are all his chapters. I have to go over these very briefly. You should get the book. Just a little bit of reflection of my life shows me that I have let these mischievous sins creep around in my thoughts and behaviors. I do live out my talks before I show up here. I I am uh, experiencing what I'm sharing with you. Bridges says, when we tolerate subtle, acceptable, respectable sins, it makes them dangerous because in addition to the sin itself, it opens the door for even greater sin. Okay, I'm going to give you the explanations that Bridges has given us in these sins, and I trust that the Holy Spirit is going to shine His light on the dark spots, the black spots in your life, or perhaps they're looking at, lurking in the shadows. Again, I recommend this very readable book. He gives personal application and a chapter on each sin. <clears throat> we have been told not to grieve the Holy Spirit, so let us not break the Lord's heart by continuing in any of these evil of evils. First one, ungodliness. This may be defined as living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God, or of God's will, or of God's glory, or of one's dependence on God. One telling indicator of our tendency toward ungodliness is our meager desire to develop an intimate relationship with God. He says, because ungodliness is so all-encompassing, it will help to identify specific areas of life where you tend to live without regard to God. These might include your work, your hobbies, your playing sports or watching sports. 
and even your driving. Just a few real-life examples. He gives a lot of verses to consider, and those are on your handout. Next, anxiety. This is against the moral will of God. God says, do not be anxious. Anxiety is a distrust of God. When we give way to God doesn't care for us and he will not take care of us in the particular circumstances that are triggering our anxiety of the moment. Let those triggers and that anxious feeling be the direction to pray, to turn, to trust the Lord. Anxiety is a sin because it's a lack of acceptance of God's providence in our lives. Will we succumb to the temptation to anxiety and fret and fume? Or will we believe that God is in sovereign control of our circumstances? Will we accept God's agenda? Because a lot of times the things that are making us anxious are what's going on in our lives. What's about to happen? What is God's plan? Are, will we accept his ordering of our days and our schedule and our circumstances. Then there's worry, a synonym for anxiety. Bridges describes worry as being associated with a long-term, difficult, or painful circumstance for which there appears to be no resolution. And there may be no resolution, and we know that, and we know there's nothing I can do about this. But that sends us into worry, saying, what am I going to do about this? I don't know what to do. What do I do? What do I do? There's nothing we can do, but what do I do? What do I do? Bridges reminds us that we have the promises of God, the Holy Spirit, to help us. And don't forget, Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. Along with anxiety and worry come frustration. That's the next one. I don't consider myself an anxious person. I would say that I don't worry, but I have recognized through this book the mischievous of those sins. And what I've done, and what I've let this sin do to me, is I've just renamed it. I call it being concerned. <laughs> if I call it anxiety, if I say I'm worried, I know I'm sinning. So I don't say that, but now I, I know what is happening now. So when I say I'm concerned, I'll recognize them. I'm sinning. But this one, frustration, I know this word, <laughs> and I thought it was okay, but um, now I understand what he's saying. Whereas anxiety involves fear, frustration usually involves being upset or even angry at whatever or whoever is blocking our plan. Oh dear, I know what he's talking about here. This hits home. But rather than getting frustrated... We are to recognize that God is in control. I have connected the dots between anger and control. Just frustration. You might think frustration is okay, but no. Um, God is in control. Psalm 139.16 tells us God knows and has planned everything about our lives. He's in control. So, okay, instead of getting frustrated, or again, if I get frustrated, let that be the trigger to turn me to God and to trust him with the issue. 
and take a big breath. That's what I need to do. Exhale and relax. Trust the Lord. The next one is discontentment. This can arise from an ongoing and unchanging circumstance that we just don't like. And this could be a life circumstance, or this could be something trivial that you just don't like. Again, Psalm 139, 16 is an appropriate truth to remember and accept. God has ordained all of our days and all the little things in our days. And I love how he closed the chapter on the sin of discontentment. He says, may all of us, with the help of the Holy Spirit, move from any negative attitudes of discontentment to a positive attitude of being a steward of the difficult and disappointing circumstances that God has given us. Can we learn to look at these hard trials as opportunities to be stewards of them and see the Lord minister to us, work in our lives, and then we become a testimony to others around us. We glorify Him. Next, unthankfulness. This is taking for granted all the temporal provisions and spiritual blessings that God has so richly bestowed on us and then failing to continually give God thanks. That's, I mean, I... I ask the Lord to forgive me for that. When I consider how much I have to be thankful for, I realize that I regularly sin in unthankfulness. So let's just pray like children pray and thank God for every little thing. Whatever is in front of your eyes, whatever comes to mind, thank Him. Thank Him all the time. Now we'll consider pride. I ask forgiveness for the sin of pride a lot. I ask for the Lord to humble me a lot. He answers my prayers a lot. <laughs> he does humble me. Bridges comments on the sinfulness of the sin of pride in Christians that can show up in several different ways. The pride of moral self-righteousness, feeling superior to other people. And Ezra 9.6 is the Bible verse I've given you for that. Ezra was a leader. He he was placed in a, you could say, superior position as a leader. But he confessed his own sin along with the nation when he was praying for the nation's repentance. He said, forgive us of our sins. That shows humility on his part. That's what we need there. We may uh, experience the subtle sin of pride of correct doctrine. This would be thinking, I'm right, you're wrong, and you're inferior because of that. But our attitude should instead be to hold our convictions with humility and realize that many godly and theologically capable people There are basic doctrines that are not up for dispute, but there are many things that people hold different convictions and interpretations on, and they are going to be in heaven. We'll all be in heaven together. So let us love and respect fellow believers. We may have the pride of achievement. 
remember that everything that we are, everything we have, any skill, talent, any success comes from the blessing and work of God in our life. 1 Samuel 2.7 says, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. So we need to give the Lord the credit for success. And we need to watch out for the pride of an independent spirit. This can show up as resistance to authority, especially spiritual authority. And this could be having an unteachable attitude. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Thank God for your pastors. I'm only halfway through this list of heartbreaking sins. <laughs> Selfishness is next. This is not a surprising sin to see named here, but it's not just about saying, Mine, mine, mine. <laughs> Bridges describes selfishness in time and money and being inconsiderate not thinking about how our actions impact another person so being inconsiderate is a sinful selfish sin he names lack of self-control as a sin because paul does this in second timothy 3 3 if lack of self-control is a sin then self-control is a virtue and I find it easy to, easier to look at how that is uh, described. It is specifically named as one of the fruits of the Spirit. So let us pray for self-control by the Spirit. Self-control is wise control of one's desires, cravings, impulses, emotions, and passions. It's saying no when we should say no. It's saying yes when we should say yes. So lack of self-control is the opposite of all that. Oh, you're already at him. I clicked ahead, didn't I? Impatience. This is a sin. And Bridges highlights impatience with people. Having a strong sense of annoyance at the usually unintentional faults and failures of others. And then I don't think he means they usually do this, but they're usually unintentional. And then you're impatient. You're annoyed with what they do. And the response, the impatience, may include responding verbally in a way that hurts that other person. So this is really looking at your interaction with someone else. And then irritability can be, can be the sin of someone who is impatient most of the time. They're just always upset with somebody. And maybe it's one person, but then they're upset with one person, and it just filters out to everybody else. So impatience and irritability. And then anger. He explains this as that while something outside of us might be or would be the occasion of our anger, it's not the cause of our anger. The cause of anger is sin within. Something like pride or selfishness or even idolatry could cause that anger in us. And regarding anger, I want to quote him. Very specifically here, he says, I want to make a statement loud and clear. It is never okay to be angry at God. Anger is a moral judgment, and in the case of God, it accuses him of wrongdoing. Well, you know he does nothing wrong. So there is no right time to be 
angry at God. If you are, then it is a sin. So if you recognize, I mean, if you're being angry at God, then you also need to start asking for forgiveness of that. Next on the list is judgmentalism. This is actually a very subtle sin because it can look like being zealous for what is right. This could look like having strong convictions or opinions, strong opinions. What we have to be very aware of is equating opinions with truth. And you can probably see how the sin of pride of correct doctrine could sneak in here. And now for envy and jealousy and related sins. Oh, oh, we were already on envy. You probably already have it. I'll stay there for a second. Envy is described as the painful and oftentimes resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by someone else. When we compare ourselves with anyone whose circumstance seems better than ours, some blessing, some advantage, some opportunity, something they have received, something they've got in their life that is better. That's when we face the temptation to envy them. And envy is listed by Paul along with vile sins in Romans 1.29. It's also listed as a sin in Galatians 5.21. Jealousy can be defined as intolerance for rivalry. And it is sin when we're afraid that someone is going to become our equal or become superior to us. We don't want them to be superior to us. We're, we're jealous for what they will be. And related sins to envy and jealousy are competitiveness, the urge to be the top person, to always win, number one, got to be number one, and the sin of controlling seeking to control others to our advantage or to get what we want. That sounds like the leaders of Micah's day. Not quite done yet. Next group of sins is sins of the tongue, gossip, lying, slander, critical speech, harsh words, insults, sarcasm, ridicule, any speech that tears down another person. This is sin. Ephesians 4.29 says, No rotten talk should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need in order to give grace to those who hear. And I have a, a Valentine's Day talk on that verse from my study on Ephesians. The title of it is Love Speaks. Rotten talk is like rotten fruit. It's stinky. <laughs> it's gross. You don't want it. But love speaks what is good, good fruit. And the last on this list of sinful sins is worldliness. Bridges' definition, as we're considering the subtle, acceptable version of this sin in a Christian's life, worldliness is being attached to, engrossed in, preoccupied with things of this temporal life just consumed and absorbed by what is right here and now. If that's all you're thinking about. There's so much more. <laughs> Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things that are above, not things that are here on earth. Set your mind on the Lord, on our future with him. 
And Micah is going to help us do that and think about the future that God has planned for Israel. And we are going to be able to enjoy that and serve Israel and the world uh, one day in the future. So in conclusion, in this love story of the justice of God, part one is heartbreak because of sin. Israel grieved the Lord with their sin, and the Lord carried out his justice on their sin. And we've seen today that we too can grieve the Lord, grieve the Holy Spirit, if we allow what? Mischievous, evil, sinful sin to be overlooked or accepted in our lives. But because we love our God and we love his justice we confess our sin and we depend on the verdict about sin that the lord has already carried out against our sin he has forgiven us through the blood of christ he treated christ as if he were the guilty one jesus in our place so we're reckoned not guilty because jesus took the wrath of god upon himself come back next week for part two the justice of god the love story happy ever after it's coming it's going to be great that's all for today i'm elizabeth ficken thanks for studying the bible with me